Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Amuna, our weekly Amuna support group. I want to thank our generous series sponsors for the year. Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbard, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Chanzer, as well. We remain very, very grateful for their generosity. This morning's shir is also sponsored by Michelle Marnie Weingarten in honor of their parents, Dr. Alexander and Meryl Weingarten, by the Hausner and Tenenbaum families in memory of their father, Shimon Horn, on his first yurt site. Neshama should have uh, an aliyah and they should uh, find comfort and strength. And for the Rafur Shlema of Baruch Aryeh Ben Bela Rochel, and a happy birthday, Ari. May this year be filled with only good health and happiness. And lastly, by our dear members, Avi and Dvora Orlan, in memory of their daughter, Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak. Her neshama should have an aliyah, and they should continue to find comfort and strength as well. We are in Bayam Derechacha. We have been learning. Uh, we remain in the volume on Pesach, not because we're confused or in denial of the calendar, although we are a little bit of that too but because of the beautiful essay we've been making our way through on the notion of highs and lows in Avodah Hashem. How do you connect with Hashem? Not only in a moment of high, not only when you see that great sunrise or sunset, not only when you walk around that kumzitz or that fabrengen, not only when you have that miracle or you're present for that birth of a baby, a child, not only in those moments where Hashem is visible and accessible and obvious and His presence is felt, but be katnas when you feel distant and far away and small, when you feel in crisis, or when you feel abandoned, or when you feel alone, or you wonder where he is. How do you connect? How do we connect with him even in those moments? We've spoken at length about why. Why did he create a world in which that is a necessary part of that cycle, where our spiritual EKG has those ups and downs? Why can't it be linear? Why can't we just climb that ladder and just stand on that rung and just take it in? Why is it a ramp where gravity is constantly trying to pull us down the ramp Rather than a ladder, we wish it were a rung on a ladder, we could just take a step up and hang out there for a while. And when it moves us, we'll take another step up and we'll hang out there for a while. Why is life like a ramp, not a ladder, that we're sliding down? And that's part of the very creation of the world. First of all, man is meant, man I mean generically man, to a room full of women. Man is meant to struggle. Man is meant, we are challenged to work, to toil. It's not meant to come easy. That's like saying, why can't I just go to the gym and... I'll just sit on the bench of the machine and not actually have to exert myself. Lose 10 pounds. Well, right, right, and I'll lose 10 pounds or gain 10 pounds of muscle, get stronger or healthier, my joints work better. Why can't I just sit on that bench? Why can't I just walk in the gym and through osmosis, I'll walk out and I'll look ripped, but I don't actually have to lift a weight. I don't actually have to break a sweat. I don't actually have to. The answer is because what makes us grow is when we're challenged. That is what precipitates, it's the catalyst for that growth spurt. I think there's a whole muscle of the, it's not a muscle, it's real, but it's a muscle in terms of us, that the oyster gives birth to the pearl only when it's agitated. Something about the oyster and the pearl. You can Google it later. Something about when it's agitated. Don't Google it later, because then you'll think about pearls and then I'll be in big trouble with the husband or whoever else. So don't Google it later. Don't Google pearls later. But it's when we are challenged, it's when we're agitated, it's when we struggle that we really discover who we are, what we're capable of, that we get an authentic growth spurt. And um, in, in that, back to that gym muscle, the reason working out works is you actually create micro tears in your muscle and the muscle grows in and grows bigger. So in working out and challenging your muscle, you're actually tearing and shredding the muscle for it to grow. And sometimes life shreds our amuna. It rips and creates not micro tears, but enormous tears in our amuna. 
but it's in those spaces in the micro rip and the micro tear of our amuna. It's in that space that it can grow and it can fill in and it can fill out and that our amuna as a result is even bigger. So how do we do that? What's our avoda bekatnas? What is our avoda? What are we meant to do in these days? How do we break through? This is particularly relevant. Every year, including this year, I get people who say to me, and I won't lie to you, some years I say to myself, uh-oh, we are a couple days from Rosh Hashanah and I don't feel it. I don't feel it and I don't feel anything. I'm struggling to keep my head above water. It's the beginning of the school year. There's a lot going on in shul life. Every one of us in our own lives are, are drowning or suffocating or whatever, whatever uh, word we want to use to describe how we feel. And there's almost nothing left for that learning, reading, preparing, volunteering, davening, tehillim, hisbodidus, dveikus, whatever we normally do that puts us in that mood and gets us in that space, you're here. You've come to a shir. That's an enormous step. People say, I'm going to, in Elul, I want to show up. I'm going to come. I want to be challenged. I want to think. I want to learn. So what do you do? The clock is ticking. Sunday night. Rumor has it Rosh Hashanah is Sunday night. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I said, denial is not just a place in Egypt. It's right here, right here, uh, right here on Montoya Circle too. So uh, I'm in denial personally, but apparently, rumor has it, it's, it's on Sunday night. So what do you do? You're going to wake up Sunday, still one more Shabbos to relax and chill. Wake up Sunday and say, Yo, I'm coming before the judge, coming before the king of kings. I, am I ready? My article this week is about the king's coronation. King Charles, as a metaphor, as a mashal, lahavdil, 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 for the coronation where none of us are invited to, I don't know if anyone here is invited to Charles' <laughs> coronation. I don't think the invitations are out. It's not going to be for about a year, apparently. Not for like a year. Avelis has to end before they can uh, make the simcha. But uh, yeah, no, that's the din. That's, uh, that's like, the, that's the minag. It has to end the Avelis. I don't know if anyone here is going to be invited. I don't expect to be. But there's another coronation, a much greater, more prestigious, the King of Kings happening on, on Monday and Tuesday. And what can we learn from one for the other? How do we prepare for the King's coronation? We're coming to the King's coronation. Are we ready in our mindset? Do we have what we need? Is our clothing clean and pressed? And are we ready to look our regal royal selves? There's the King Mushal. We're also coming before the judge Monday, Tuesday. It's going to launch and kick off a 10-day period of evaluation, of reflection. Not, not the past, but the present. We spoke about that in the last woman's shear on a Shabbos morning, that God doesn't judge us for our past, even though that sounds strange. Everyone thinks Rosh Hashanah is, were you a good boy or a good girl this year? That's not what Rosh Hashanah is. We can't change the past, so how could we be responsible for it? All we can change is our present. So the past is only relevant how it informs our present, but what matters is who are we in that moment? Which makes this question all the more pressing. If in this moment, I feel disconnected and down and out, and not really here and not really invested and not really into it. Uh-oh, because this is the moment I'm being evaluated on. But I say, well, but Hashem, six months ago, I was at this concert, it was unbelievable. I was singing at the top of my lungs. Hashem, four months ago, my Amuna, I was talking about you all the time. I felt your presence. I was like the queen of Amuna. Kosh Baruch says, that's nice, but that was four months ago, that was six months ago. What does that have to do with right now? What does that have to do with right now? That's like your spouse says to you, I know that I'm not really checked in, I'm not really connected, I'm not really making time, we're not really communicating, I'm not really active listening, I'm not really sharing. But you remember eight months ago what an unbelievable husband I was? Remember eight months ago, the flowers and the chocolates and the time that we spent and the romance and how good I was at listening? You say, yeah, that's nice, we'll give you a couple stars for eight months ago, but 
But right now, I'm, I'm in a relationship with you right now. Right now is what matters. Right now is what counts. So we're going to come before the judge, and he's not going to hold us accountable for the past. He's going to take a look at us and say, okay, who are you right now? Are you nostalgic for your mistakes of the past? Are you proud of them, nostalgic for them? Do you, do you, do you savor them? Or have you moved on from them? Have you grown from them? Have you learned from them? Are you pledged and promising not to repeat them? Not the past, but right now. Who are you right now? Tonight on Behind the Bema, we have Judge Dan Butler from Pittsburgh. He was an extraordinary, extraordinary person. He lost a son of 24 years old. He has two autistic adult children who live with him. And he's the happiest, most positive, most amazing person. He's a, a very, very special. He and his wife are incredible people. And he's a judge, so we'll talk to him about, give us some tips how you come before the judge. From one judge, Lahavdil. Lahavdil prepare us for coming before another judge. We're coming before, we're coming before another judge. So will we be ready? You can't come before the judge and be like, I, I forgot to shave. I know I'm wearing like, you know, rags. I know I'm not presenting my best self to you, judge. I know I don't look like I have remorse. I know I don't look like I want to be my best self. But you should know that three weeks ago, I felt really bad. Three weeks ago, I looked, I had it together. The judge says, but you're in my courtroom right now. Today's your trial date. Today is when you're here. Now's when I need you to have it together. Now's when I need you to put forward your best self. Now's when I need you to make a compelling argument for why I should believe in you, that, that who, the one who did that is not who you are right now. Now, so how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place? Because that's what matters. Page Kuf Samar Gimel, 163. So last week we got stuck on those two words. I'm going to try not to again. Last week we said that sentence, and then we got stuck the rest of this year on those two words. We never got past it. On the first step being Mesiris Nefesh. Remember, because then I broke into the whole thing about love is giving, not getting. So love is a verb, not an adjective. When you give, you love, not when you get. So if you want to love God, start giving to Him. You will love your spouse when you give to them. You'll love your children when you go back to giving to them. Very paradoxically, very counterintuitively, if you fall out of love, start giving. Start doing. And you'll fall in love, because love is the result of giving, not getting. So if you have fallen out of love with Hashem, if you've fallen out, probably you're still in love with Hashem. You've fallen out of like with Hashem. Because there are many, including some people in marriage, who love their spouse but stopped liking them a long time ago. If you've fallen out of like with Hashem, not love, and you want to renew it and restore it and reinvigorate it, and you want to create a spark to it, then start giving. Mesiris nefesh. Mesiris nefesh. When you feel like doing it, it's no big deal. Then you're not doing it for him, you're doing it for you. But when, when we don't feel like doing it, start giving, start giving. And how do we give to Hashem? How do you give a gift to someone who has everything? Hashem is the source of everything. He has everything. What gift do you get God? It's very simple. You know what the gift you give God is? You. Your heart. That's what you give Him. He doesn't need anything physical, material, financial. Although when we give tzedakah, we're also showing Him mysterious nefesh. We're showing Him we are prioritizing His other children, that we care. We have this incredible market yesterday. We're doing it again today. Spent tens of thousands of dollars on all the food yesterday was, was picked up to make available to Jews in South Florida. Pay what you want market at BRS. Yantav is expensive. People can't afford it. I know the struggles, particularly the economy and inflation. We did it before Pesach and we did it again now. Thanks to generous donors, we made available an incredible market of an incredible array of foods. And we said, take whatever you want. There's a little box. Put in whatever you want. Put in whatever you want. Take $100 of food and put in $1. Take $100 of food and put in $100. Nobody's looking, nobody's asking. Do what you want. And Baruch Hashem it met a, clearly met a need because all the food was taken. We're going to do it again today. I, I share that with you because we could still use more help if you'd like to contribute towards it. But um, also because 
because I'm proud that in this time of the year, tshuva tefilot tzedaka, what's the idea of tzedaka? Is Hashem, you have children. I have siblings who are hungry. I'm going to be moser nefesh because I'm going to dig deep in my pocket to make sure that I don't only have what to eat for myself. It's not that I have my roast and wine for yantif and my silver honey dish. I want to make sure everybody has honey and something to eat for, for yantif. And that's the mesirish nefesh of tzedaka. But we can be moser nefesh. The greatest mesirish nefesh we give Hashem is when we give Him our heart, we say, I'm in, I'm in. I don't feel like being in, but I'm in. I'm in. I'm putting my heart into this. That's number one. I'm trying not to get distracted by it again. Torah tells us, you will search Misham from there for God, and you will find him. Where's Sham? Where's there? Where's there? So Misham is Mimikra Hayirida. There is even when you are on the, the descent. Even when you are on decline, even when you feel distant, even when you feel far away. Sham. Sham is over there. Po is right here. So it's not Uvi Kashtam Mi Po. You'll be searching for God right next to him. Like you're in it, you're looking for him, you're looking for God in the middle of Ne'ilah while, while a thousand people are singing and the walls are reverberating. That's, that's Po. That's like here and now. Sham is, even when you feel I'm Sham, I'm far away. My head is far away, my heart is far away, my soul is far away. I'm somewhere else. I might be here, I'm here, I'm turning the pages, turning the pages of the machzer, but I'm sham. I'm sham. I'm already at lunch, I'm already in the middle of the nap, I'm already post Rosh Hashanah, I'm already post Sukkot. I'm sham. Let's get this over with, because I'm sham. I'm not here, I'm somewhere far away. So the Torah promises us, but if you look and you search, even from sham, if you become determined and you say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not really present. I'm not really feeling it. I'm not really energized. But even from a place of sham, uvi kashtem, become determined, but I'm looking. I want to. I want to want to. Then umatsasa, you're going to find him. You could find him even from a place of sham. Even from a place of sham. If a person knows that even though right now there is this incredible rhythm and roller coaster of life, there are moments Hashem is obvious and clear and right in front of me. And there are moments that where is He? Is He here? But even in those moments that where is He and why is He doing this? That even then, Be'emes in truth, who nimtza iti is really with me. Person still feels smallness and hiddenness. To realize that Hashem is even with you next to that hospital bed. Hashem is even with you in that shiva chair. Hashem is even with you in that negative result on a pregnancy test. Hashem is even with you on a shidduch that fell through. That Hashem is even with you when you go into overdraft on your bank account. That even in those places where you wonder where and how and why, that He's always with me. But there's a big risk and a big danger in that moment. It's so easy to slip and to slide further away. So in that very pivotal moment, at that crossroads that could go either way, a yid, a Jew has to scream out, Abba, I know you're here with me. I know you're with me in this doctor's office. I know you're with me next to this hospital bed. I know you're with me through this crisis. I know you're with me in this struggle. Don't abandon me. Don't leave me. Because you're all I have left. I don't know how else I will come out of this. I don't know how else I will endure this. 
Don't let me slide or slip. Don't let me fall further from you. I don't want to live without you. I don't want to live without you. It's a last ditch effort. It's a, it's a call, it's a scream, it's a desire. It's a desire to reconcile. I see this all the time, and I'm sorry, I always give the same metaphors. Believe it or not, I get emails about this too, about health and wellness and diet or marriage. And I give metaphors based on what, you know, about life and counseling and the real world and people I encounter. So sorry, I'm not sorry about that. But so in marriage, you see this all the time. A marriage which is in the ICU, a relationship which is in the ICU. It's lost its romance, it's lost its energy. And people have grown apart. And whatever friction might even be there, maybe there's a, a, a violation of trust, something that happened. But, but before they call it quits and before it gets to the point of no return, one or both say, you know what? I want to fight for this. I want to fight for this. Don't, don't leave me. I'm not leaving you. We're going we're gonna to figure this out and I want to fight for this and I want to grow old together and I can't imagine life without you in it and I don't want to walk down our children's aisle without you on the other side. We're going to do this. We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. And that's that pivotal moment where the future of that marriage is determined because if both are checked out and indifferent or apathetic, it's over. It's over. But if one or both say, this is worth fighting for, I don't feel it. I'm not going to pretend I do right now. I don't exactly know how, but I know it's what I want. And I know we're going to get there. And I know it's worth fighting for. So Rav Meir is telling us that in our marriage, because our relationship with Hashem is a marriage, it's supposed to be romantic and loving and intimate and courtship, communication and time and affection. It's supposed to be all the ingredients of, of marriage. And in that marriage, even when we don't feel it, to cry out. And to say, don't leave me, don't abandon me. I want to fight for this. It's worth it. I can't imagine life without you. I need you. I need you. Says Davka in that small place, Davka in that fragile place, Davka in that vulnerable place is where you can realize I need him the most. So even though I feel him the least, but right now I need him the most. And how could I possibly do this without him? So it's worth fighting for. I don't know how I'll get him back. I don't know how I'll transform this feeling. But it's worth fighting for. I've shared before, Martin Judovitz, Olav Shalom, whose first Yeritzite we just observed, who was a pillar of our community, designed uh, a hobby, our shul, and the Holocaust Memorial outside, a survivor. His autobiography is extraordinary. He was a very, very, very special person. So I interviewed him on Yom HaShoah, and in that conversation asked him, how did you maintain your faith? You'd lost your parents, your siblings, you'd lost everything, everyone. And, and here he was every day at shul and davening and a tremendous person. And he, and he wrote a sefer on shas and he wrote a sefer on, he was an unbelievable person. How, how did you maintain your faith after everything? How? And I'll never forget what he said. And it's worth watching, you can find it online. Because without pause, without hesitation, he said, he said, I had lost my mother and father. I had one father left, one parent left. Should I lose him too? The only way that I would survive having lost my parents was only if I kept the other parent I had left, my father in heaven. I should lose him too? He didn't pause, he didn't hesitate. He didn't prepare, I didn't give him that question in advance and he said, ooh, what would sound good? What would make me look good? What would make Goldberg talk about me a year after I leave this world? He, he just legitimately, authentically, <laughs> 
as purely as his soul was, he answered and he said, how could I have survived if I left him too? I needed him. I'm sure it was a complicated, rocky relationship after the war. But he understood, what am I going to leave him? I need him. It's in that moment of our lowest, darkest place, it's the moment of our biggest, most vulnerable and fragile, that we need him the most, that we have to lean in. I can't. And a person realizes, you know, I thought I had it going on. I thought I can control my life and my destiny. Turn the page. I thought I was in charge. I thought I was in control. I thought I was the arbiter of my destiny. I thought I was in charge of this business or my family's health. I thought I could dictate everything that happens. But now I'm in a place that I realize I can't. I'm in a place that I realize and relinquish control. That I submit and I surrender. That I concede. God... It's in your hands. I was wrestling with you my whole life. You and I had a power struggle my whole life. I always thought it was me. I knew you also have some of the control, but it was a power struggle. Who's driving the car? Who's driving the bus? We were wrestling for the last whatever years. But now that I'm in this place that I didn't know how to not get into and I don't know how to emerge from, now I, um, it's yours. I submit. I surrender. I concede. I concede that you're the one who has the keys to a Rafu Shlema. You and you alone are the one who can give a, a recovery, a miraculous recovery. Only you. Only you. If you look at statistics and data, and a person is a realist, when a loved one is in crisis, you give up. I love doctors. But if you listen to the doctors only, then it's, then it's over then it's over. You, you have to believe. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying you should believe in something that is impossible in the world of science and medicine, that, that's foolish and it's a false promise and it's asking for a revealed miracle and we don't do that. But I'm talking as long as there is a chance, then, then focus on the chance, not the odds. So it's Dafka when we're knocked down and it's Dafka when the world flashes its data and statistics in front of us that we say, Hashem, I thought I was in charge. I thought I was in control. I'm not. You are. I submit. I surrender to you. And now I need you. And now I need you. I need you at every moment. And Dafka from that place of vulnerability and fragility, Dafka from that place of realizing, I don't know how I got here and I didn't know how to avoid it and I know I need you, that you realize how desperate a moment it is, I better not fall further away because the only way to climb out is with you and through you. And therefore a person stands up and screams out, Reveal yourself to me, my father. I can't be far away from you. I can't. I can't live this way. I can't survive this way. Oh, in the volume on Pesach. What we're going to say, what we're saying now in Slichos, and we're going to be saying all the way through Ne'ilah. Don't cast me away. Don't throw me away. Don't give up on me, Hashem. I'm not giving up on you. Let's not give up on each other. Let's not give up. This relationship is worth fighting for. I want it. I want to want it. I'm calling you. I'm reaching out to you. Don't give up on me. Don't cast me away. Don't walk away. 
And even if on Erev Rosh Hashanah we're in a very small place, and when you're in a place of being small, you think, I don't deserve it, I'm not worthy, it's not coming to me. But you can still, even in that place, say, I'm throwing myself on you. I'm casting my lot in you. There is no other choice. Am I going to listen to the doctors? Their odds, their statistics? What other choice do I have? What other choice do I have? I have no life. You are the essence of life. You are the source of life. You are the force of life. I have nothing but you. I am a nothing, a gurnished. I have nothing and I am nothing without you. I need you. I need you. So again, here he's talking about Svira Saomer, Katnas and Godless, post-Pesach. It's a whole other orientation, but I, I think it very much applies to the period that we're in, and I think he would agree because he references Atash Lecheni Melfanecha. But advice number, number one was Mesiris Nefesh. You're not feeling it? Good. Go out and give. Do for God. Go out and do. You don't feel like doing? Go do. Because with the eating comes the appetite, with the doing comes the love, with the giving comes the love. Give to God and you'll love Him. You're going to revive that energy and that connection when you give to God, even if it's uncomfortable, inconvenient, you don't feel like it. Number two is tefillah. Number two is tefillah. There are people who did things this past year who behaved in ways that they are filled with incredible shame and guilt. There are people struggling with behaviors, addictions, patterns, that they are filled with incredible shame and guilt. There are people who hurt others or failed others or violated others. There are people who hurt or failed only God. There are people who, and this we'll talk about on Shabbat Shuvah, failed and hurt and violated themselves. Themselves. Who they could be, their, their potential, their expectations, or their promises they made to themselves. And people feel, how could I come Mon- Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday? How could I come? I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm going to come. I'm going to get dressed up. I'm going to say these words. I'm going to sing these songs. I'm going to put on the smile. I'm going to listen to the chauffeur. If, if you only knew what I did, what I'm doing, what I struggle with, if you only knew my patterns of behavior, if you only knew, if you only knew, I'm not Roy, and it's not Magili. So Rabbi Jemayar is saying is that person should Davka come to shul. And maybe before they come to shul, or at shul, or come early to shul. Suggestion number two is this most heartfelt tefillah, this prayer from the deepest recesses of our heart that says, Hashem, I feel totally unworthy. Judge, I have no excuse, I have no explanation, I am unworthy. But judge, here's the thing, you're also my father. So, mitzad being a judge, there's a strict justice, there's a, there's a law, there's consequences, and you're the judge, and maybe on the books, I'm undeserving, I'm unworthy, I don't even have a right to appear here, and really you should throw the book at me. But it happens to be that you're not only the judge, you're also my Abba. So Abba, I need you. And don't go anywhere and help me, even in this small place, not feel small. Help me believe in us. Right? A father, a judge, if you're a repeat offender, 
and he's been patient over and over again, and you keep violating, they're going to throw the book at you. But a parent, that child can come the four millionth time they've done the same wrong thing. And when they collapse and say, I, I want to stop doing this, and I'm so ashamed, and I feel so bad, you just put your arms around them. You know, you just hold them tight and just tell them it'll be okay. And you just say, we're going to get through this together. There's a lot of work that needs to get done, but it's going to be okay. So before Rosh Hashanah, you could come to the Rebona Shalom and say, not only judge, judge have Rachmanas, but also you're my Abba, you're my Tati, you're my father. Daddy, I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed and I'm racked with guilt. And I feel far away from you because you've tried to help and I've pushed you away. And so I don't feel you in my life, but now I need you. Now I need you. Help me. Help me restore this relationship. Help me be open to your influence. Help me feel close to you and help me feel your presence and help me become who I could be. That's a tefillah. That's a tefillah. It's such a mistake that people on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and every day of the year, I preach this all the time, but that people only daven from the Siddur or the Machzer. It's one of the tragedies of Jewish life. That people live 70, 80, 100 years and they only ever davened from a Siddur or a Machzer or a Tehillim. They never spoke to God outside of it. The Siddur and the Machzer and the Tehillim, they're the lowest level of davening. <laughs> they're what we're put in place to make sure we do something, even when we don't feel like it. But they're the lowest level. The highest level is when you talk to him outside the Siddur, outside the Machzer, outside the Tehillim. When you talk to him like this heartfelt feeler that we're describing, Daddy, Abba, I've pushed you away. I haven't felt... Just talk, he spoke to this on the beach the other night. But it doesn't have to be on the beach and Tafka, you don't have to do it together. That's why it's called his this. But in the kitchen or in your car or in bed or getting dressed or whatever you're doing, just talk to him. Just talk to him based on where you're at. You could be talking to him flying high. I feel so close to you. Thank you for everything. Unbelievable. Every day I try to talk to him. I'm not great at this and I don't do it for a long time. I'm not going to pretend I do. And maybe I do it selfishly every day. Whatever I got on tap. Let this work out well. Please, Hashem, I need help with that. Please, this child's going through this. Please, this person I met with. There's, there's a lot of struggles. dusty in here. <laughs> it's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff. If you're not, and if you're like, I don't know what I'm going to dive in for this Rosh Hashanah, thank you. Like, I don't know. Thank God everything's good, everyone's healthy, everyone's whatever. I guess I'll dive in for the Wi-Fi in my house is slow, or <laughs> the kiddish at the shul is just like a cake and whatever. <laughs> I also say this every year. If you're not davening for something big on Rosh Hashanah in your life, then daven like crazy with gratitude and with fear 
that it should just stay that way. To a degree of the most to daven for. Because you don't want the other shoe to drop. Rabbi, what happens if you have these wonderful feelings inside about gratitude and you're feeling good and you're on that great road and you kind of feel it's difficult for you to say that to yourself because you give yourself a can of heart. I think it's the opposite. That's a great. It's a great question. It's a great question. What happens if you're trying to go through your gratitude list, and by doing so, you're basically saying you're giving yourself an ayin hara? Is there, is there such a thing? So I think it's the exact opposite. Same people who believe in an ayin hara usually believe in a skula. So I'll give you a skula against the ayin hara. The skula, the 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 thing you can do to offset the ayin hara, is gratitude. That is the number one thing that you can do. So if you, if you hang a banner outside your house, look at everything going right for me, you get an ayin hara. By the way, you're laughing at me when I give that muscle. You hang a banner outside your house. There are many, many millions of people who do that every day. They just do it on their wall instead of, of their house, uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. And, and it's it, literally, it's called you have a Facebook wall and it's, it's I'm hanging a banner on my wall of everything going right for me. And now you're welcoming an Ayanhara. Now you're welcoming the world to say, oh, yeah, is that person's deserving all that goodness. So the biggest way to fight an Ayanhara, first of all, is humility and modesty and keep it close. You don't have to share. The whole world doesn't have to see your kids on their first day of school. You want to print it out pictures and walk to all your neighbors and hand it out the picture. I'm not knocking anyone who did it. I don't mean to embarrass anyone. I'm just saying, it's one thing to put that on the family WhatsApp group. Let's all share nachas and our children on the first day of school. It's another on our wall, where the neighbor who doesn't have children now has to walk by your house and your wall. These are my kids, Kanainahara, on the first day of school. That's an Ayanahara. It's one thing to, to do it to your family. All the grandparents and cousins, let's all share pictures of each other the first day of school. I think we always did that, and I think that's normal. But on our wall, literal or virtual, for the neighbor who has no children to see, that's an Ayanahara. But the biggest way to offset the Ayanahara is, is by being grateful is by being grateful. So when you in your own mind, and that's what I, I started to say, and we're going to end with this before I just turn into a total puddle, is, um, is, is that tefillah every day, to talk to Hashem throughout the day. Here's what's going on, I need your help with. Let the speech come out well, let that shear, let this article, let the Shabbat Shuvah drasha, let this help of that person, that guidance, let this from my children, my family. We all have that. We forget usually the, the second part. So I've tried to develop the habit every day of, before I do that, to say, thank you, last night the, the, the shmooze worked out well. Invocation turned out okay. That meeting went well. Thank you, Hashem. We tend to ask Him before, we tend to forget afterwards to thank Him when it went well, to tell Him how it went. We forget to, to check in after the fact. You know, you got to check in after the fact too. I just saw a story of Rav Lichtenstein's that's all that uh, one of his grandchildren or children was rushed to the hospital in a desperate situation. The whole family gathered. They were all selling to him outside of the, the hospital room. There was an emergency surgery. I'm not sure if I'm getting all the details right. And they were all saying heartfelt to You can imagine, Lichtenstein was a tremendous tzaddik. He's pouring his heart into the Tehillim. The doctor came out and said the surgery went well. He's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Everybody closed the Tehillim, high-fiving, hugging, joyous. Lichtenstein like, didn't miss a beat, kept going. So one of his children went over to him and said, did, didn't you hear the doctor? Did you hear what he said? Everything's going to be fine. The surgery went well. Not at his head, he kept going. And when he finished, he said, what happened? He said, 
what the intensity of the Tehillim was only when, when we thought he was in trouble. And once the doctor said everything's well, the intensity of the Tehillim should be over? You should close the Tehillim? He said, you got to double down. Tehillim should be with more Kavana. You got to finish the... He says, well, I should stop. The Tehillim was before, was I need you. The Tehillim of thank you, there's no Tehillim of thank you? So he kept going. He didn't think about that. He just, that was, of course, I got to keep going and finish where I started because my Tehillim of thank you has to be as strong as my Tehillim of please. So our Hezbodah, our conversation after the fact of, of thank you has to be as, as strong as our please. Anyway, going into Rosh Hashanah, if you have no idea what I'm talking about and you have no idea why, I'm, why it's dusty in here, I, I envy you. Don't feel bad. You've done nothing wrong. But I envy you and feel very blessed and count your blessings. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. But if you're feeling a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of what I'm describing, then pour it out into conversation with him. Today's Wednesday. We've got a bunch of days till Rosh Hashanah. Talk to him. Talk to him. Like Rav Meir is telling us, Don't give up on me. I'm not giving up on you. This is worth fighting for. I feel far away, but I, I give up. I surrender. I surrender and I submit. I'm not in control and I can't handle this alone. And I need you and I want you. And I'm grateful for you. And I want to figure this out from this small place that I am, from this desperate place that I am, from this distance place that I am. I need you. I need you. So Hashem, give me your Rosh Hashanah. Help me feel it. You're not going to feel it in the Machzer if you don't talk to him outside the Machzer. If the first time you're going to talk to God for Rosh Hashanah is when you open the Machzer and you're catching up on the Putim, forget about it. It's not happening. But if you're talking to him these days leading up to Rosh Hashanah, if you're talking to him on Rosh Hashanah, if you're talking to him through the Simanim while you're dipping the apple in the honey and eating the pomegranate and the fish eyeball and the fish head, if you're talking to him throughout, then you've got a shot when you open the Machzer. Then maybe you've got a chance. Then you've got a chance. The Ramah, quotes, the Ramah quotes a practice that we don't sleep on Rosh Hashanah. It's not just your grandmother's Baba Misa. The Ramah quotes in Halacha, we don't take a nap on Rosh Hashanah. Some are lenient, you don't take a nap in your bed. But if on the couch you happen to fall asleep. <laughs> but we don't take a nap, we don't sleep on, on Rosh Hashanah, why not? So the, the Baba Misa part is, if you sleep on Rosh Hashanah, you'll have a sleepy year. Okay, so many say Halavai. Many with insomnia say Halavai. Would that be so bad? That's not the reason. The reason I sleep on Rosh Hashanah is to stop sleepwalking through life. Wake up. Wake up. But I'll say don't sleep on Rosh Hashanah because you should be in constant conversation with him. Constant conversation. You go to Eretz Yisrael to visit your children or grandchildren. You have one day there with them. You're going to take a nap in the middle of the day? <coughs> you, you, you're going to take every moment, relish every moment. Rosh Hashanah. Bring Mamlech. We're going to the king's coronation. I just want to be talking. I want to be in conversation the whole day. Just want to be in conversation with you. Oh, the machzor that ended whatever time? That was just the machzor. Those were someone else's words. Now I want my words. Let's be in conversation. The whole, there's so much to talk about. So much to ask for. Even when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos, and Shabbos you generally can't ask for things, but even when Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbos, you could talk to him. You could make it personal. I don't know who doesn't have personal things. You, you, gotta, you, you gotta come in your machzor with a piece of paper. I have a piece of paper that every day sits on my shtender. My name, my wife's name, family, every one of my kids' names, their Hebrew name, Ben, Bas, their mother, and people that I daven for. How are you gonna come to Rosh Hashanah? You don't have that paper? Children and grandchildren? 
Baruch Hashem, Kenai some people here have many names to daven for. I'm just talking about within your family, I'm talking about the people that everything's okay. <laughs> but how do you know they're going to be okay? How many people last Rosh Hashanah came to shul? Taking things for granted and didn't daven for things they never imagined. That they'd be sitting next to a hospital bed for months. And months and months and months. So Rosh Hashanah is not, I'm not trying to paralyze you with fear. Let's daven our heart out because we don't want to wait for that diagnosis for our children or someone else. But, but yeah, nothing. Nothing that happened this year can you take for granted next year. Nothing that happened two years ago happened last year. Just think about this insane world we're living in these last few years and how unpredictable it is. How do you not come with a feeling of desperation, of that unpredictability? That could be the tefillah, this Rosh Hashanah. Can we have a predictable year next year? No pandemic, no disease, no war. political crisis, no war, no, no inflation, no recession. Could, you, could we just, could you give us a year off? In two, we'll talk about two years, two years from now. But for a year, could you give us a break? Just a year off, just with like the normal craziness, not the extreme. Could we get a year off? How, how can we not feel that way? How can we all not feel that way? Okay, that's the last year for the year. We'll pick it up again next year. Next year is next week. So we'll pick it up next year. Mirzashem. Should all be signed and sealed, a sweet and a happy and a healthy and a prosperous year. Join us tonight, 9 p.m. Judge Dan Butler. Please stay for Tehillim, Esther Tila Basari Al among all Holy Israel. And it should all be good. It should all be good. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.